that is. My sword shall wield for me. Welcome, faithful listeners, to the Frustrated Fans Podcast, Episode 16. The Frustrated Fans, stealing your rose-colored glasses one franchise at a time. I'm your host, Pete. I'm your other host, Jeremy. And if it wasn't already bloody obvious, we're taking a look at the book and otherwise media franchise known as Redwall. Yay! Mm-hmm. Man, we're really uh, jumping around in terms of like content of stuff. We just went from a horror movie to like a children's <laughs> book series. <laughs> I think I'm getting the bends. Probably. So, it's definitely a little bit of whiplash. Yeah. But... Not as much as the next one we have to do, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so to start this off, this franchise started in 1986 with the book, eponymous book, Redwall. Uh, this is by Brian Jacques. Jacques? I believe it's pronounced Jakes. Jakes? Yep. Okay, we'll go with Jakes. Um, and he started much in the tradition of Watership Down. He was writing about adventures of animals such as mice, rats, hedgehogs, and others with their connection with uh, so-called Redwall Abbey. Yep. Some 22 books were released in the main series with a few smaller books, ending with The Rogue Crew in 2011, which was released posthumously as Jack's, uh, Jack's passed away earlier that year. Yep. I actually remember the exact release date of it because it came out on my birthday. Neat. Yep, uh, May 3rd, 2011. Mm-hmm. So... Each story contains heroes, usually mice, badgers, otters, and villains, usually rats, does, and weasels, but there's also other species who fall into that. Yep. While most center around Redwall itself, many take place in other locations around the world, including the mountain Salmanistron and Great Isles in the Sea. And a medieval period is usually used, or actually is used for all of the stories, and there's not much magic, really. Uh, The only real types of magic that are used are there are seers, uh, there are tapestries or carvings. Uh, like in Salamandistron, there's a wall in there full of carvings that predict the future. And accurately, I might add. But the main existence of magic itself is the constant presence of the spirit of the mouse Martin the Warrior, who founded Right. So what little magic there is is usually some sort of supernatural influence from beyond the grave. Yeah. But there's nothing conventional... There's no what we would call conventional magic, even though there's no creatures spell. of the domain sometimes think there is. Yeah, there's no spells, there's nothing like that. In some of the books, some of the characters believe they are magic. In Lord ba- Brocktree, the main villain of it, believes he's magic, and all of his followers do as well. And so they do like little fake spells and things like that. Uh, Chronologically, in the storylines, uh, Outcast of Redwall was the first one to feature Martin's spirit, even though he never actually shows up. Uh, the character Bella talks of him and says that he told her in a dream that he will keep watch over the Abbey, and in times of need, he will visit special creatures. Okay. Now, the series has received much critical commercial success since its start, and each of the books has usually been on a bestseller list. Uh, though there is some pretty strong criticism of the series because it takes a very black-and-white view of the world. There's very strict, almost strict lines between good and evil. Certain species are always going to be on the good list. Certain species are always going to be on the bad list. Now, while there is noted exceptions, uh, they're very rare 
and it's not even a one per book thing. It's like one one or two per series. Yeah, I can, I can think of two off the top of my head, which is Gingavir in Moss Flower and his descendant in Red Wall is a wildcat, and usually yeah. they're in the very few books that the wildcats appear in. They're usually villains, but he is a very peaceful character. And in the Bellmaker, the Sea Rat, of, of all people, a Sea Rat, which those are usually portrayed as like the worst villains, uh, the character Blaggett, who becomes right. like, a friendly person who's actually very nice to the to the little kids. And he ends up turning on a on another Sea Rat who does commit murder on Redwall grounds. Yep. So, what? How did you get exposed to the franchise? Uh, when I I first read Martin the, the book Martin the Warrior back in 1996. It was either while I was in sixth grade or just as I was graduating. And the, I remember, I think my mom had actually picked it out because I was always a fan of, like, you know, swords and things like that. Like, I remember when I, you know, I think I mentioned it before, when I was in the Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, I was like Leonardo and the Red Ranger, Jason, because they had swords. And also when I was even younger than that, I loved the book, uh, the series of books, The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Did you ever read those? Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, which had a talking mouse main character. And so this kind of like was the perfect fit for me. And it was the first really long, you know, actual 300-plus page novel that I ever read when I was a kid. And so I'll admit, I didn't retain everything in it, but I remembered enjoying it. And then I read The Bellmaker when I started junior high, which, not knowing anything about the continuity of the series, didn't realize that The Bellmaker took place years upon years after Martin the Warrior does. And none of the char- like none of the same characters are in either of them. Uh, but since then, I've read and reread almost every book in the series, and it's been my favorite book series of all time. Like, I've, I've read other novels. Like I really enjoyed Watership Down. After reading some of these, I went and read that and really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of my fondest memories are, in, are of this series. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I never missed a, cla- a day of class, but through all of winter break, both weeks, I was sick and stuck in bed. And I ended up reading through Mariel of Redwall and Madame Mayo, Madame Mayo being actually, I think, the longest book in the series. It's like 400 pages or something, and in one week each, because I, had, I literally had nothing else to do, and I remember really loving them. And sometimes I would just kind of get bored and start rereading the books in random orders, being like, oh, this is the order they were published, so I'll read them in that order. Or, oh, here's the chronological order, I'll read them in that one. <laughs> and I actually had to replace my copy of Redwall, the original one, because the cover fell off multiple times. And as I reread Mossflower recently, I realized I kind of need a new copy of that one, too. And my favorite book in this series was actually the very first one I read, which was Martin the Warrior. And I guess it probably because it was the first one I read, it has a slightly different feel from the other books. Maybe it's just me. It's just a personal thing for me. And mm-hmm. one th- well, one thing it definitely has different from all the other books is the ending is actually very sad. And you, I think every other book in the series, at least the ones that I've read, I'm, I haven't read a few of them yet. Uh, they all end in. They all have happy endings, even though there's some dark moments in them. Well, bittersweet would be better. Yeah, like some of them are a bit more bittersweet than others, but this one was just—it's pretty dark. Like there's no nobody's smiling at the end of it. Well, ironically, since it's the first book both you and I read, and we'll get to my experience in a minute, 
but we had no idea it was going to end so badly. But anyone who had been keeping up with the franchise to that point knew it had to end the way it did. Yeah. It had to fit in with continuity, and Martin doesn't mention anything in it in the books in the later stories, even though they were, you know, in Mossflower, even though that was written before Martin the Warrior. So there had to be a reason for him not to bring it up. Right. And Mossflower was actually the third book I read, so. And I've also read Brian Jake's other series, Castaways of the Flying Dutchman, which I very much recommend. It's They're very interesting. There's three of them, and they're very different from the Redwall series. That one actually has plenty of mysticism in it. And but it does have Jake's penchant for writing in like uh, riddles and mysteries for the characters to solve, and and those were always very fun to read in the books. Okay. Yeah, and God, these these books have been pretty influential on me too. I mean, when uh, one of the ways they kind of inspired me actually was to listen to music that went with either what I was writing or reading, or heck, even when I play video games, I'll listen to a song if I think it goes better than what was used to the game or, you know, to kind of pump me up for it. And well, didn't you tell me you, when you were playing um, Fall of Cybertron, you put on the touch to face Megatron? Exactly. For the entire, Actually, for the entirety of the game, I was listening to music from the original Transformers movie. So Nice. Yep. So, like, in the final stage, at one point I was playing Dare, or in areas where it was just really tough, I was playing, you know, like, Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way and songs like that. So where did you play Dare to be Stupid? Um, I don't remember, actually. It might have been, uh, you know what, I do remember when I was playing as Bruticus, I was listening to uh, Instruments of Destruction. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> but I can't With Dare to be Stupid, maybe it was when I was playing as, uh, actually, no, wait, when I was playing as Grimlock, I listened to Hunger. Okay. Yep. Uh, and it's actually really funny, because my favorite set of songs to really use along with a bunch of others for these books are a lot of the music from star Wars. And I have this one CD. It's like kind of like the best of the original trilogy. And I also have the episode one soundtrack and I've listened to them so much with these books. And it's been so long since I've actually watched the movies I actually relate the music more to the, with the books than I do with the star Wars films. Like, All right. you know, when I listen to Duel of the Fates, I think of the final battles in these books, like Martin versus Sarmina at the end of Mossflower or Matthias and Clooney from Redwall, rather than episode one, which is pro which is easily an improvement. Well, <laughs> we both like, I think we both like to pretend episode one doesn't exist. <laughs> I like to pretend all three of those movies don't exist. Fair enough. Yeah. And for me, I... I don't remember when I really started associating it with it, but the track Luke and Leia from Return of the Jedi, actually, for me, it's kind of like Martin's theme and Rose's theme from Martin the Warrior as well. And I, I remember I always, whenever I finish reading Martin the Warrior, I always listen to that track. And suddenly when I listen to that track, I think of the book. And yes, sometimes manly tears follow that. Aww. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's even inspired me. I think this was like what inspired me to write from the beginning. And I even wrote a story uh, back in 2009 where I used, see, I had scenes and even like a quote or two and ideas that kind of mirror the storytelling in the Redwall series. And I even used some of the songs from the Star Wars soundtrack to go along with it. So when, you know, the main 
one of the big new heroes of the story faces off against the main villain, you get Duel of the Fates. And I really love these books. It's like I said, it's my favorite book series of all time, and I've recently re- started rereading them again. And I real and I'm going to read the ones I haven't read yet too. Okay. Well, we'll get to my experience after our first break. Sounds good. There'll be talk of little else if we do nothing until it's too late. It was Clooney that killed my family. I know. But never talk of revenge, Matthias. Remember, a warrior fights only when he has no other choice. There's no other choice now. Matthias, no more talk of fighting. Sorry, Father Abbott. Our duty is only to protect. We must not invite trouble. And we're back. So from my experience, um, as grade schools often do, especially when Scholastic, the book publishing company, comes comes to town, they hold book fairs for to raise money for the school, and they come to like Scholastic profit. So I saw Martin the Warrior on sale, and I'm like, I thought, asked my mom, hey, you mind if I get this? And she looked over it and said, eh, why not? <laughs> so she would rather have us reading than watching TV or playing video games, as mothers tend to do. So. Yep. Now, I admit I loved the book immediately upon reading it, even if I was confused on this whole what this whole Redwall Abbey was, mentioning at the beginning and end of said book. But my brother and I, he immediately tackled the book after I did, and we realized this was a series. So, yeah, I started reading more, and this was seventh grade for the record. Uh, we started reading more and more of them and getting all of them, and uh, to the point that I had pretty much read everything that had been published in early high school, even going to a book signing when the author came to St. Louis. So Jealousy now, is radi- radiating off me at the moment on that. <laughs> most of my hard copies of the books have gone to younger cousins who have fallen in love with the series on their own. Um, I still have my signed copy of the book Salamandastron. Some, yeah, no, I kept... Yeah, I still have, I still have Martin the Warrior from way back when. And, yeah. Like I said, some of them... Uh, I need replacing. Now, I admit, though, about after Marl Fox and into The Legend of Luke, though, I started losing patience with the series. Hmm. To the point, because it became so formulaic. If you've never read the books, there's, with, with no exception, basically the book, do follow the three-act three structure, and, I mean, especially when you have such hard lines of good and evil, it, it just doesn't challenge you, especially when I got into... By sophomore year, I was kind of much done. Now, I especially felt like the author was cranking in them out, just like carbon copies. So I moved on to different book series at that point. Now, to this day, I look on the franchise with nostalgia goggles, even though they are in for, intended for a specific age group, and they're good for that age group, you know, 5th through ninth grade, arguably. Oh, Definitely. Um, the book series has definitely inspired my own writing skills, and I admit that I tried my handwriting at fanfiction for the series that has long been lost, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, I never that wrote... That was never meant to see the light of day. <laughs> yeah, I never wrote any fanfiction off the series, but it just inspired me just to write in general, and some of the... Sto- like I said, at least one of the stories I wrote, a lot of the stuff was purposely done as like an homage to the series. Mm-hmm. Now, I do remember about junior year of high school, the animated series on PBS started debuting, and I did watch a couple of episodes, more out of nostalgia than anything else, and they're not bad. 
certainly. Yeah, I, I um, didn't even know But we're going to get to that. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed until... I don't remember what year it was, but I just remember I was at... I wasn't even home. I was at a hotel in, like, New Jersey or something and with my parents, mm-hmm. and I'm flipping channels as we're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, I start watching, like, this cartoon. I'm like, is that Matthias and Clooney? And I caught it, like, at the exact <laughs> end of Redwall. And I was like, oh, my God, this is an animated show based off of Redwall. So, yeah, that was basically all the experience I had with it until now because I actually forgot it existed for a good amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and for the record, I think the last the last book I remember reading before I kind of dropped off was Lome Hedge. And I had Rackety Tam and Hyrule Lane. I knew I hadn't read Hyrule Lane, and I couldn't remember if I read Rackety Tam. And so both of those I've read now. And, yeah, after reading through Rackety Tam, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember if I actually read this or not beforehand. Okay. But that one was actually, I, I would recommend that one. It has it has a little bit unique feel to it, and the villain of it is a Wolverine, something that a creature that's not been in any of the other books. Yeah. Well, the only yeah that that's definitely rare, so especially since most of the wildlife characters are all based on British species. Mm. So. Yeah, and then High Ruling was actually the first book in a long time where wildcats were the villains. Where and it wasn't huh. just like one like in Mossler this time it was an entire island filled with them. So for this podcast, we really wanted to take a look at the anime series since it it's an adaptation. Now this was produced by uh, noted uh, noted Canadian animation studio Nirvana, who has done a lot of a lot of animated stuff over the years. It's going a lot of stuff we ha- we watched in our childhood, uh, such as. I'm just I'm looking up right now, but... Oh, okay. Uh, let me see. Well, while Pete checks out at the moment, uh, the this there are three seasons of the show, and each season covers a different book. Uh, there was Redwall, its sequel, Matameo, and Martin the Warrior. Oh, here we go. Uh, let me see. We had Eek the Cat. Oh, I remember that show. This is uh, This is just in the 90s. They had a lot of other stuff, too. There's this, there was the polar bear logo, if that makes any sense. No. Um, they did Eat the Cat. They did Peppy Longstocking and Barbar the Elephant, if you want. I've heard of Babar. I've, obviously, yeah. that, that was way pat. That was way after my time as a kid. I think when that came out. Yeah. But, they did the Donkey Kong Country anime series, which I've been told is crap. I've seen a little bit of it. The CGI was about on par with the actual games. Okay. Which, oh, here we games, go. They, were, they looked nice, but not as an animated series. Uh, for PPS, they've also done the Berenstain Bears, the Magic School Bus. Oh, okay. Uh, they did work with... They did uh, work for... Translate... They did the Beetlejuice animated series. Oh, I love that show. Uh, the American Tale animated series. And good God, there's a Free Willy one. I forgot there was an American Tale animated series. And maybe I blocked out that there was a Free Willy one. Never Ending Story did one, apparently, too. Wow. Oh, and most recently, at least, uh, they did the Kirby one from back in, like, 2005. Oh, wow. We may have to cover the Free Willy animated series at some point, just to 
I don't know if I can do that again. I can go back to that movie again, man. <laughs> I want to see how bad that show is. <laughs> Usually you're the one that's able to find like the really bad cartoons and send them over to me. Yeah, people, Pete decided to send me the freaking Bubsy the Bobcat cartoon. We need to do that. Oh, my as, like, God. Animation oh. pilot special or something. Oh, my God. It was so bad. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's going to be one of those where Pete goes here. Now, this is what Jeremy said after he saw this. I remember <laughs> I, I watched the first three seconds of it, and I had something to say. <laughs> I remember. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Okay. So this is produced by Novan. They've done a lot of good stuff. And the three seasons, like you mentioned, cover Redwall, Matt, the book Matameo, and the book Martin the Warrior. For this podcast, uh, we'll probably end up watching – we might actually end up watching more of it later on. Uh, we watched the, but for this, we watched the first two episodes of Red Wall, uh, which were effectively the pilot. Yeah. yeah, Clooney the Scourge Part One and Clooney the Scourge Part Two. Yep. And basic story of Red Wall itself, both the book and the show, center around the inhabitants of well, Red Wall Abbey, and mm-hmm. they're basically shown. They're all shown as peaceful creatures, you know, at you know that help others, cultivate the land. And they're basically forced to put aside their peaceful ways as the evil rat Clooney the Scourge arrives and threatens to basically take over and kill them all. And the main protagonist is Matthias. He's a mouse. He's a novice at the at Red Wall. He's pretty young, and he but he dreams of being like a great hero, like Martin the Warrior, who helped found the Abbey and helped win the war to free Mossflower, which is the uh, woodland that they live in, and. Matthias is essentially shown as a more unlikely hero, as basically he's pretty young. In the very beginning, he's clumsy, and throughout the story, he shows kind of a lot of recklessness that eventually evolves into bravery and like a quick, quick thinking for combat situations. And he's not the strongest, which that goes to Constance the Badger. Badgers are usually portrayed as like the physically most powerful in the series, and. Uh-huh. That, or the most experienced, which Basil Staghair is essentially the expert soldier in the group. But Matthias proves, you know, he has the spirit of a warrior, and it's even shown in the story that Martin wanted his spirit and legacy to live on through Matthias. And through multiple trials throughout the story, he eventually rediscovers and obtains the long-lost sword of Martin, which is seen as, like, this legendary weapon, and... To be fair, they portray it as such because it's got this razor edge. It can slice through anything. It's powerful looking. The, and owing to traditional RPG elements, it's made from a metal of a falling star. Yep. Which means it it beats anything. Yeah, it's it can't just like nothing can damage it or dent it or anything. And of course, as usual with fantasy stories like that, they do make the point to say you know it's just a sword, it's a weapon. And but it always depends on the person who re- wields it. And uh-huh. Matthias proves himself worthy of the legend of it, as he ret- when he returns to Redwall Abbey with it, Clooney has essentially taken over, and he faces down Clooney as a group of the sh- of shrews uh, team up with the Redwallers and defeat Clooney's forces. And in the end, Matthias uses the sword of Martin to defeat Clooney. Uh, but Mortimer, who is the abbot of Redwall, ends up dying due to Clooney's attacks. And, but the story ends on a happy note with Matthias wet, uh, being wed to Cornflower, a very kind mouse, 
and they name a new abbot, and they find and ever, and they reveal that Matthias and Cornflower have a son named Matameo. Well, let's take our next break, and we'll go from there. Okay. No rope can keep Raggy and a resourceful for long. Fifty of them had me prisoner, chief. Asmodeus. Come with Asmodeus. I will show you eternity. Now, notably in the first book of a series, much less the um, first animated series, the rules of the series hadn't really been established completely. So we see a lot of different things that would never show up again. We see uh, a horse that shows up in the very first, yep. very first part of the book. We we mentioned that Glooney's stampeded cattle before. Yep. They um, mention in the book that he might be a Portuguese rat, which in future yeah. stories, no actual like real life locations are ever referenced or used. Right, and one thing that's always confused fans: uh, exactly how animalistic are these creatures? Because some books read where they're kind of anthropomorphs, you know. And some certainly that's what the television show goes with. Mm-hmm. Whereas some, like the very first book, more in, seems to indicate they're regular animals. Yeah, there, to a degree. There's more references to that in this one than later ones. Like there's moments where they say like Constance got back up on her hind legs, or at one point where she carries a fish to the kitchens in her mouth, you know, right. rather than just kind of them putting in a... In later stories, they would put it in a net and bring it in. So, can we hold that up against the book? No. no. Yeah. That's the first one in the series. Yeah, as with, so. like, TV show pilots, I mean, stuff that shows up in the very first story or very first episode, usually it's just the writers kind of getting their bearings, you know, and stuff that shows up in that usually sometimes won't show up in later parts. Right. That being said... Um, is there a difference between the book and the TV shows? Yeah. Definitely. Uh, First and foremost, when we get um, Matthias, his his backstory is basically explained he was an orphaned mouse who showed up at the Abbey Gates one day. That's all we get in the book. Yep. And really, that's all we need. But here, we actually have a pretty elongated flashback showing that not only did Clooney come in kill his entire town and his parents, his sister died getting him to Redwall. Yeah, and again, we didn't know any of this in the book, and to be honest, his heritage isn't really important, but you know, it's kind of nice of them to show, you know, try to establish his character a little bit more. And yeah. I was kind of surprised at how long it went. It took up most of the first episode. Yeah, it did. So, um... And then our only appearance of a snake comes in this book and this first season of a TV, TV show where we have the snake calls himself Asmodeus. And he shows up pretty much right away. Yeah, he shows up during the flashback. Whereas in the book, he first appeared way later on where he kills one of Clooney's men. Right. So, and then the main abbot... Mortimer character, his he's definitely changed from the book. In the book, he he's he's definitely a pacifist, but he's also practical. He knows they're about to fight a war. 
Yeah, I, and, I've noticed, and like, there's moments in the book where he even says, like, Constance and Matthias, you know, I leave the methods of war up to you. I will be here to give guidance and to help with the healing. In the series, however, he's dead set against war if at all possible. He understands that the fighting has to be done, but he's going to still speak out against it. Yeah, and he chides Matthias a lot, and in moments where it's kind of inappropriate, like when the rat shadow appears and steals part of the tapestry, Matthias tries to tackle him and stop, and stop him, and the, and the abbot kind of tells him, why did you do that? <laughs> like, huh? Uh, he's stealing your sh- Yeah, he's running away. Like, he's stealing your stuff, and he's evil. And then later on, where they find out that Clooney's about to get into Redwall through, like, a plank, and Matthias helps them, like, fight him off and tip the plank over so Clooney plunges down to the forest floor, and the abbot's like, well, you shouldn't be doing any fighting. I'm like, he just helped save the whole abbey. Why are you yelling at him? To be fair, Constant in the series, she, uh, at one point she does, like, abbot, I need to have a private word for with you. Yeah, and... I do like. You can tell she's about to tell him off. Yeah, she's like, "Will you quit it? He's doing a good job. Leave him alone." <laughs> I don't see you wielding a sword. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I like the way Constance is portrayed in the show. I agreed. Pretty much exactly like she is in the book, and I will get to. But I really liked her voice actor too. Yeah, uh, a number of the scenes are rushed or left out completely, but you know that's all right. Yeah, I mean that happens whenever there's stuff like that, you know, whenever you take a book and which is 300 plus pages and turn it into a 26 episode cartoon. Well, in truth, adaptation, there's always going to be things left out. Yeah. There's some and things that just don't need to be done. I mean, that can be removed without damaging the actual story. Mm-hmm. And there are some actual changes to it. Uh, there's a, the scene where Matthias and Basil the Hare rescue the Vole family from St. Ninian's church. Uh, in the book, they get separated. Matthias goes his own way, and Basil takes the family back by himself. But in the cartoon, they return together, which then conflicts with another scene in the book where after Matthias splits off with them, he kind of falls asleep, wakes up, gets lost, and is led back to Redwall by Silent Sam the Squirrel. And mm-hmm. at the end of episode two, which ends after he would have been introduced, he actually hasn't even appeared in the show. Right. So, um, another thing, big thing, uh, minor point, they, the tapestry, which is a big focal point of almost every Redwall book, at least it's always usually mentioned, mm-hmm. in this case, it can predict the future. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to call call a little ball on that. Yeah, it is a bit of a... Like, they're kind of expanding on how, in the book, they say that Martin knew that Matthias was going to be born and that Matthias would carry on his legacy. But, yeah, that was about it. That was just Martin's... Martin himself. And as we later find out in Mariela Redwall, the tapestry was put together after Martin died. Yeah. And also, in the story, when they first find out the riddle of Matthias being Martin, they find uh, the character Methuselah finds this riddle behind where the ripped tapestry was and sees the words, I dash am that is. But in the show, I am that is is written right on the tapestry. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, these are kind of like little minor. Nitpicks. Yeah, these are nitpicks at best. I mean, some of them are like Silent Sam, you know, Sam the Squirrel not showing up. I, you know, he'll, he'll show up later, obviously, but there's nothing mm-hmm. really dramatically different from the book or just, or ruins the story in every way. It's, I mean, we've just read the book so many times where we watch this and go, that's a little bit different. That's kind of odd or kind of a, huh, moment. Definitely. So the actual product, Nirvana actually, they're, oh, let me put it this way, they know their stuff. They, when they animate a series, they usually do it fairly well. Yeah. And the animation in this show is actually pretty good. I mean, it's not like, it's no Batman the animated series or anything like that, but everything looks nice. The characters are usually on model. The animations are pretty fluid and to be honest, Redwall for the most part is replicated pretty like equivalent to what it's like in, you know, described in the books. And kind of in many ways the way I see it in my head after reading the books. Mm-hmm. And I like the art from Martin's Tapestry too, how it, you know, it, it's different from from the rest of the show. It's a nice contrast, you know, it lets it stand out a little bit. And my only real issue, and again, I mean, it's a bit more of a major nitpick, it's the proportions of the characters. You know, I mean, some of it, I will admit, is my own mental images of the characters, the way I've imagined them since I was a kid reading this. But I always pictured Clooney as being larger than the other, than the other rats, you know, having a, you know, bit of a gut, you know, he's big, muscly, and strong. And in the show, he's definitely bigger than the average, uh, than the other rats, but he's kind of lanky looking, you know, he doesn't look like this, you know, total brute, like he's described in the book. And meanwhile, you've got Basil Staghair, who is a giant compared to everybody else in the book. Like, right. he towers over Constance, who's a badger and is supposed to be bigger than everybody. And again, I mean, this is kind of minor nitpicking, you know, it, though this stands out more and would also be visible to people who didn't read the books and are actually, and are watching it for the first time. I'm much the same here. Um, I've always had ideas of each species being certain heights and others. And I've always imagined when I read the books that they're more anthropomorphs like they are in the cartoon. Mm -hmm. But my only issue is how Clooney's portrayed. Don't get me wrong. He, he's carried well. He's, looks demonic and evil or no he looks evil and he's more of a bully but compared to the, some of the art artwork created for the franchise itself the literary franchise uh yeah he's pretty tame yeah I mean in maybe they had to adjust I mean like in the book he has the cloak where it's a cloak of bat wings with like this skull on the front of it and I guess they had to adjust that because they were trying to target maybe younger kids Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, it, again, that part, it's not exactly the most... I mean, for kids, yeah, he looks scary enough. Okay. So why don't we take a break? Sure. That was the most foolish and most brave thing I have ever seen. Thank you. Oh, absolutely top-hole heroics all round, I'd say. I'm not at all sure about heroics. Basil Staghair, at your... Look at these poor creatures. Welcome back to our jolly good show, what, what? Your British is showing. <laughs> oh, that's a bit of a bother, isn't it? 
So let's talk about the acting in the show. To its credit, the show uses pretty much all British actors. Yeah, and they... At least I think so. Yeah, I believe so. Either that or it's some people are doing British accents, I guess. Well, it means Canadian. Yeah. It's a Canadian company, so it's hard to say. Yeah. Either way, it, it carries well. Yeah, I, all the voice acting is well done. Everyone, you know, all the voice actors seem to understand their character enough. Maybe they were all given a copy of the book and like, here, read this, research your character. Mm-hmm. And especially Basil, I really like his voice actor and like the energy that he has. And I also, like I said, I like Constance's voice actor because she does a good job of being, you know, kind, but also she has like this slight a bit of gruff in her voice, too, to get across, you know, how tough she is as well. And Also true. Yeah, and one moment I just really enjoyed was where with the character Regeer, uh, one of Clooney's rats, where, as in, I always remember the scene in the book, too, where he's trying to sneak up on Matthias, kind of like making up a story to explain why he disappeared after uh, they ran from the Abbey when Shadow was caught. And he's like, there were ten of them, chief. And I really like his voice actor with this. And the scenes themselves are almost near-perfect translations from the book, with even a little bit added onto it, because I think the, it, I swear the production crew must have really enjoyed the voice actor doing this. Like, nah, just keep going, you know, riff a little bit, and then we'll just cut, and we'll make more animation for it. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was great. This was definitely good. Now, um, the acting isn't as great as anything I've ever seen. You know, there's a lot of other animated shows I can think of that do, like, really push acting limits. But, True. no complaints. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to hold up to stuff like Gargoyles or, again, Batman the Animated Series with... Or Avatar Last Airbender. Which I've never seen. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. It's blasphemy, Internet. Please don't kill me. Mm-hmm. And I probably still will never see it, but whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously shows like that, which, also, to be fair, I guarantee you shows like that have much bigger budgets, too. Very true. But for a PBS series, this is very good. Yes, and heck, it's actually better than most of the stuff that's on TV currently. So, overall, the series, I ha- I remember I did watch the first season once, back when I first found it, and you know what? It's good. It It's good. It definitely is built for kids, because it tones down the violence, even in the, se- in the, even the literary series. I mean, Jack's never went on full on Saving Private Riven or even Game of Thrones, but... Creatures do die in the books and often quite horrible deaths. Yeah, especially and, when Cheese Thief kills the weasel Scrag by stepping on his throat. That was yeah. kind of violent, which they took that out of the show as well, which I don't right. blame them for. I'm not saying a kid series needs to be that honest with the violence, but anything that taps into warfare that predates firearms needs to be a certain amount of blood. Perhaps the biggest thing missing in the series is the scale of warfare. That's present in the books. I mean, just based on what we see in the pilot, Looney has maybe a hundred followers, and they keep telling us it's four hundred, but we never get a sense of that. Yeah, uh, I can guarantee you. I mean, granted, this this series essentially ended. Like, they stopped doing the animated series back in two thousand three, I believe. But I guarantee you, they probably wouldn't have covered like the Long Patrol which ends with this massive war with tons of characters dying, and it's an extremely bloody moment in the series, and 
very well done, too. So that, I doubt yeah. they would cover something like that. Agreed. So, your final thoughts on that, then? I liked it, too. I, You know, some things were cut, some things were changed, and it's obvious that this was made for younger kids, maybe those slightly younger than the target audience for the books themselves, so maybe, you know, they could watch this and then go read the books. But it's definitely not a bad show. It's actually quite well done. And as an adult, I would definitely prefer reading the book over this. But, you know, despite my little nitpicks on the way the characters look and things like that, it's pretty neat to, you know, see them in animation rather than just picturing them in my head, you know? It's something about just seeing them on the screen and talk and actually talking with real voices. And, again, the only... You know, slightly more than an nitpick problem I had were like the proportions, but it's not a deal breaker. And I wouldn't mind checking out more of the series, especially after I read that the character Slagar, the main villain of Madame Mayo, is voiced by Tim Curry. Damn. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you enjoy the books and you're an adult now, I recommend just checking it out for the novelty factor. And I would easily recommend this as a good kids show. Definitely. Um, so what do you want to do next? Well, next, <laughs> the season has begun, and we are going to tell you a tale about a bird, an interesting bird, that on the day of Thanksgiving committed murders most vile. We shall cover the movie Thanksgiving, starring Turkey! Yeah, this is going to be one hokey movie, but God, am I looking forward to it. Oh, I cannot wait for this. This is going to be great. Yeah. So next time, folks, we're going to look into the D-list movie, Thanks Killing. See you next time, folks. <laughs>